Welcome to building a hundred million pound business in public. Four years ago, I was having lunch with my friend Logan when we half joked about racing to a hundred million. And it's always stayed in my head. What does it take to build a hundred million pound business? On this podcast, I ask my network and speak to VCs, founders, DNI specialists, marketeers, and more to share their top tips. Some have made it, some are on the way, and all have a story to tell. So today I'm joined by Simon Barbato. He's the CEO of Mr. B and Friends. He's also my personal go-to expert on all things brand. He's worked with startups and been responsible for growing quite a few hundred million plus businesses from the brand side. So welcome, Simon. Hello. How are you doing, James? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Perhaps you could add to your own intro. What, what, what would you add to that? Well, I'd add that I've been, I've been in the industry since the early 90s. I've dedicated my entire career to working with clients to help them to build their brands. I work across business-to-business business, uh, consumer brands um, uh, nationally, internationally, uh, and in many different vertical categories. And I think that um, the business that we've built today, Mr. B and Friends, is a, a brand expertise company wholly focused on uh, working with Startup, scale ups, and enterprise level clients uh, on on brand reputation, brand creation, and also uh, brand effectiveness. So that's really what Mister B and Friends and I'm all about. Because mm. we, we, we've worked together on developing two brands, haven't we? We have, yeah, and they've both been really successful and enjoyable projects, actually. Yeah, well, I, I think I've always taken from you just a really you always come at things that are really like left field. Left field approach, but always quite methodical. It's quite it's quite an unusual combination. Yeah, I think that um, uh, we're very strategically oriented, and um, the process that we go through enables our um, our clients to unravel the plate of spaghetti that is normally in front of them in order to get clarity around who they really are and how they want to present themselves. So, by taking a strategic approach, you can then start to build the creative leap into what that brand may look, feel, sound, and be experienced like. Hmm. I, mean, I think having a brand expert on is really interesting. So, I, I, for my side, for startups, certainly, I've definitely gone down the rabbit hole on brand and spent quite a lot of time on it that I might not have needed to. But then, on the other hand, sometimes I've spent quite enough time on it when, when it really counts. So, I thought we'd really should get your view on. When is the right time to look at brand? Well, I think that if I can ask, I'll answer that question by asking a different question. And I think that one of the things which many uh, founders or entrepreneurs or, or leaders struggle with is what is brand mm. and what is brand in the role of the context of the organization that they are leading. And that's our starting point, really, is making sure that people really understand what brand is and you know there's loads of jargon explanations of brand but effectively it's a series of associations perceptions uh and tangible and intangible assets that surround your organization and the the thing that i love the quote that i love the most is that brand is what people say about you behind your back (laughs) and that's effectively you know a, a really 
pithy way of thinking about your brand. You know, when you're not in the room, what do people think of you? And so with that in mind, you have to then ask the question, what's the role of brand in my organization? Is it just simply to create an identity that people can recognize us? Or does it go much deeper than that? And that's that's uh, the expertise that we bring to the table. Mm. I mean, we, we've had quite a number of conversations over the years that brand's not just about customers as well. It's also about your people. And maybe I'd mm. add that sort of, what do people say about you when you're not in the room, but also whether they're attracted enough by that to, to want to work with you as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly in the service sector, you know, the internal brand is, I think, possibly one of the m- more important because it's important that we have a unified identity across the entire business and, and a culture that people can actually recognize and buy into. And all of that stems really from, uh, you know, from from what the brand's role is. And once you have that, then it's a lot easier to create consistency when you go external to market and when you start talking to your customers. Hmm. Well, maybe then I'll jump, jump to, the, to the big question, which is sort of what, what would you do or not do when, when building these £100 million businesses? Hmm. Okay, well, I think it's a massive question. Okay, and we've we've helped a number of organisations go from startup to 100 million pound revenue, and those companies have gone on to be sold, uh, and sold successfully, and then taken forward. Um, and so we've seen a lot of success. But I think that the the question that we will always ask a a founder, an entrepreneur, or a uh, an investor is. What is the ambition for this brand? If you look in any category, doesn't matter whether it's um, recruitment, financial services, um, technology, or, 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 or you know FMCG, every single category have a, have a number of players in them. Generally speaking, you will always have a set of category conformers. These are the you know, the brands or the organisations that have been in the category for a long, long time. Uh, they're not particularly innovating. They're holding a, a relatively solid market position and they provide choice to a consumer or a customer base. Then you have a market leader or a category leader and the category leader tends to be uh, defined by its size, its reach or its um, you know revenue. And what we look for are, are founders, entrepreneurs and investors who have an ambition to be the brand leader. Now, that's not necessarily being the biggest in the category, but it's about positioning yourself in the best possible way. And that, for me, is uh, how you can accelerate your growth from startup through to, uh, you know, to scale. And effectively, what it means is that you act like a leader, but think like a startup. Right, and it's combining the confidence of a you know of a of a, a leader in a particular category with the agility and the bravery of a of a startup. Was it was it Hertz in the US who said like so proudly said they were number two? People should choose them because they were number two, two, so they had to try harder. Absolutely, and no, it was Avis. Avis, was, um, Avis basically um, said we try harder, uh, and. Um, I think no, you're right. Actually, it was uh, it was Hertz that was proud to be number two, or some one of those. But mm. it, um, whichever brand it was, the the point being is it was recognizing that it wasn't the leader by scale, and it used a negative as a positive in its communications. So we try harder, and we clean the cars more. We make sure that they're better service. We have greater availability. We've got more more agents available. So they turned what was a negative because they they couldn't claim to be the market leader mm. into a positive, which made them a brand leader. Okay. 
and from sort of people you've worked with, perhaps if you give us another example of a, of a sort of brand leader sort of activity or positioning. Yeah, so I think brand leaders tend to identify uh, their brands on a multi-dimensional level, right. and um, without getting too comp- complex, we always see a internal and an external pivot to your brand, um, and. The, the dimensions that we look at are the stakeholder group of the owners and the people that own the business. You know, does the brand really reflect, you know, their vision, their ambition for the organization for the short, medium and long term? The second is the colleague uh, set as well. You mentioned this earlier. It's hugely important that you bring your people on board. If you're going to start to scale a, an organization quite rapidly, and that could be through organic or, you know, a buy and build or some acquisition strategy, it's really important that you have a, a solid culture for the brand and that enables you to create a, um, a solid base. And then when you then pivot that into the external audience, you're then looking at your customers and your partners. So you may sell via a channel or you may sell direct to customer. So what does the brand mean to them? And finally, of course, we want the brand to mean something to competitors, to analysts, to commentators. So, you know, we want people talking about us in that set as well. And and having a a brand leader position is identifying that every one of those uh, groups of people needs to be dealt in a uh, a specific way, Mm -hmm. but having a strong core idea that transcends all of them. And we have a particular tool that we use at Mr. B and Friends, which is called an organizing thought. It sits at the very heart of your organization and it enables you to pivot internally with messaging and culture externally with products and services so it's a it's a really powerful way of generating a big brand idea and that's where you find the brand leaders tend to identify and uh, and build their idea from from that base so actually kind of the, sort of the information gathering encompasses quite a few different areas it sounds like just listening like four different areas but ultimately you're distilling it into one organizing thought that's exactly it. I mean, you have to, um, you go very broadcast with your um, immersion and your data capture. But ultimately, what you're looking for is a crystallization of all that insight, all that information, all of that market intelligence that you've gathered and turning it into a strategic positioning idea, which is what conversation do we want to have? And then an organizing thought, which is the creative representation of that and something that can be used internally and externally. And if I can give you a couple of examples mm-hmm. of organizing thoughts, we're, we're all very, very familiar with them, but we may not have heard that term before. Let's take um, let's take Tesco. Everyone knows Tesco. So Tesco have uh, they coined the phrase "every little helps." Now, on to to Tesco colleagues, what does "every little help" means? Well, effectively, it's a message of effort because you know it's about opening that till, it's about restocking that aisle, it's about carrying those bags to the customer's car, it's about you know cleaning uh, when someone something's been spilled. All of that effort builds up towards a better customer experience. So every little helps. But to us, uh, the customers, every little helps is a message of value. It's about making sure that you know we are matching prices, about having the range and uh, and also having the availability. So every little helps uh, is a and because it's common parlance, it feels like something that you know we might talk about. We can reflect that it's a it's a message of value. So. That's a really fantastic way of looking how the organizing thought manifests itself internally and externally. 
And then probably the most famous organizing thought um, is just do it. Uh, and internally for, for Nike, that's everything about um, uh, research, innovation, permission, an entrepreneurial culture, you know, just get on and do it. But externally, it's a message of motivation to us. Get off the sofa. We'll give you the kit. You get out there and run because that's because everybody's an athlete. And the, it's the organizing thought which becomes a really powerful fulcrum for the brand. And, and it can be just as simple as that three, four, five words. But it, it, it carries so much cultural meaning and also infrastructure as well. The, the, you know, the spirit of the company and the way the company set up is built around the idea. So the organizing thought should be a driver for how you, man, you know, make your biz, business decisions. You know, does that feel right? Does that reflect what mm. our brand uh, idea is all about? Should we be making that acquisition? Do they fit that culture? You know, should we be moving into this particular region or territory? You know, is that going to help us to to build our brand? And that's why, you know, it's be, it's a really powerful tool and not very, not well publicized, but it's, they've been there for a long time. Essentially, what that really triggers for me is the idea of Red Bull gives you wings. Because it's oh, almost yeah. like, which, I, which is always my favorite, because it's kind of like, you see a Red Bull thing and you go, you see like X Games, and you go, Red Bull are going to be sponsoring that. And sure enough, they're sponsoring it. And it just yep. gives, you can just imagine someone going, does this give you wings? Yes, we'll sponsor it. No, we won't. Yes, we'll do it. No, we won't. It's almost just like a, a one, a one word, a, a one sentence decision matrix. Yeah, and guess what? It's got nothing to do with the logo, has it? And that's the whole point. The brand has to work on another dimension, and the brand is more about the uh, the idea, the the spirit of the the business that sits behind it. So. Uh, and when you actually you, you quite rightly sort of you know contextualize it like that, you can see exactly why this is such a powerful concept for an organisation that needs to scale. Because you can draw in your stakeholder group, your investor group, your colleagues, your customers, and even your competitors into your brand. The best reaction that um, we ever get when we launch a new organising thought for a, one of our clients is when their competitors say. I wish we thought of that. Mm. Yes, yeah, that moment. Kind of, I've been through that process with you twice. It's kind of like the moment where you kind of lay it out on the table. You're kind of going, "Wow, that's good," and sort of a little bit like, "Wow, that's obvious." It's kind of like it just feels to fit so much in the middle that you're kind of like, "It's it's a weird feeling." It is. It is. But those are those are the behaviours I think of the of brand leaders. Well, so the examples we gave there were quite quite big companies now. So you were talking about how this can help people break through as well. Like brand leaders don't necessarily have to be leaders in their category. It's just about, I suppose, clarity of message and really getting their brand and position themselves clearly in the market. Could you maybe give an example of someone who you think is kind of smaller and how yeah. they've used that to really create that brand leadership position? Yeah, definitely. I'll give you an example of a company that we worked with um, some time ago um, that, that was on a buy and build and they were scaling really quickly. They were a, a managed services technology business. Um, they're based in London. Um, they had some private equity back in, so they were on a buy and build. And effectively, they needed to scale really quickly from zero to, uh, I think, just short of £100 million um, revenue. And they had a blank sheet of paper, which is always the most exciting and the most um, terrifying brief you, you could ever get because there's no starting point. There's no legacy to build on. And 
So what we had to work out was where is this business going? And, um, you know, I sat down with the CEO and they had a, a very converse, uh, similar conversation to the one I had with, I've had with you twice and said, you know, what does the top of the mountain here look like? What are you trying to achieve? And uh, his response was very unequivocal. I would like the most admired mid-market te- um, managed services company in the UK. Absolutely fine. So we sat down and had a look at um, everything that uh, we had in front of us. We had a plan of what the acquisitions would be. We knew what the products would going to be look like and everything. And we came up with an organizing thought, which was three words. And it was quite simple. It was connect with us. And the the brand idea stemmed straight into the investor group. It, uh, it, it made sense uh, in a narrative when we're talking to acquirees. It was perfect for um, new staff onboarding. It was absolutely brilliant as a product message as well, because all of their technologies helped companies to connect with each other. Um, it was a great sales and relationship building message as well. And Connect With Us um, had a human aspect to it as well. Um, rather than, than us talking about products and services, we were talking about people and business outcomes. And that business used Connect With Us for its first five years as its organizing thought, and it scaled really, really quickly. Um, and that was a, a massively successful branding program. Uh, and from from that moment onwards, um, we then developed a evolution of that, and uh, and then the business was sold um, a couple of years later. So yeah, really exciting business. And interestingly, the um, the brand name of that company was called Six Degrees Group, mm-hmm. and um, and so there was a there was a, a reference to the name as well. So it all linked together beautifully. Well, I'm hearing them for this this like organising thought you. It's a lot deeper because I think a lot of people start and they go brand equals logo. And I think people begin to understand it's, it's more than logo. Maybe people have this kind of a vision and mission and values in there as, as well. Maybe some like communication guidelines. But I suppose what you're saying is actually underpinning all of that. There's this sort of undeniable truth around what the business is and what it's, what it's trying to achieve. Yeah, incontrovertible truth is the word we use. We used to use, um, or we still do use. Um, you, you've just touched on a really good point there, James, because brand is so much more than identity. But if I can talk through the four stages of brand evolution, um, and maybe some of your listeners will reflect upon where are they at this stage, you know, in in their growth. So the first stage, of course, is identity. Um, it's all about creating a signal for your organization. And within that identity, you, you would have a name and a logo and, you know, colors and things like that. And, and, and let's not, um, let's not underplay that identity is a massively important part of your brand toolkit. And, you know, we, I can still tell you, we can have a conversation right now and I can say, airline orange you'll be able to tell me who it is and so you know this is the concept of semiotics and you know we have visual recognition of of certain brands the second stage of it is about service and product um proposition so you know okay we've we've got our brand identity or our or our visual identity so how do we then propose our service and product proposition uh, and that's that was the second stage so people started doing service design and product design to to support their their portfolio of um, revenue making um, activity. The third part, I think, is where it's become really exciting, and this is the experience level, brand experience. So we we talk about three levels of experience. We talk about brand experience, which is effectively 
the reaction that you give to your customers or your or your colleagues every time they have an interaction with your brand. Then you have customer experience as well. So thinking about customer experience design and how do you create loyalty uh, amongst your customer base through your brand as well. And then the final uh, part of the experience mix is employee experience. How do you create an employer brand where you you generate a, a team of ambassadors or loyalists or whatever you want to call them? And that's the third stage. And we're now moving into the fourth stage with obviously the proliferation of digital channels, which is the content layer. And this is about content and education. And it's quite an interesting one because um, people are doing less and less um, campaign work and they're doing much more content work nowadays because content is king and people consume content at different levels. So so there are four stages of, of brand evolution and there are still some industries which are stuck in phase one, which is it's all about logo. And there are some which are very much killing it in stage four, which is all about branded content and um, and generating um, you know really useful content to to create custom. So and I think that that's a really important scale for people to reflect on where are we in our journey and how sophisticated are we. And then when you then look back at your competitors or your peers in your particular category, how do we stack up? And the big question at this stage has got to be, why would anybody spend money with us when they have so much other choice? Mm. Because at the end of the day, um, a lot of the decisions we make about where we are going to spend our money, whether it's business to business or consumer, is done before we even get to the point of sale or the point of engagement. So what does the brand do? How does the brand present itself uh, in order to create that perception of quality, value and relevance that um, I'm looking for as a as a either a prosumer or a consumer? Because that's really interesting. So I mean, that takes back something that Nick Baker talked about in his podcast, just like have confidence that you're doing something of value. But ultimately, it's about commerciality. Like, if people won't pay you for what you're doing, then don't do it. So it's really nice that brand feeds into that as well, taking that the question of how are you helping consumers make that decision for you? Why should their money come to you? Exactly. I I, I listened to that podcast as well, and that was a, a very pertinent point that Nick made. And brand has the ability to position you from a premium point of view or from a from a, a, a commodity point of view. You 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 choose which conversation you want to have in the market, and you design and, and develop your brand to fit that. And you know, if you look at it, you know, you look at EasyJet was moving towards the commodity part of the airline industry. British Airways has always wanted to be the premium. Uh, player. The interesting thing is now, who knows which brand occupies which space in the airline industry? But the but the point being is the the brand has the ability to create a halo effect, and that halo effect will support the loyalty and the price positioning of your product. So so brand has got a massively important part to play in helping you to establish how you want to be positioned in the market and how you want to be perceived, and then the the associated value that people will pay for it. That's amazing. So if I, if I if I sort of bring it back into sort of a summary, like if, if the thing that anyone listening, if they're sort of either at the beginning of their journey or getting sort of midway through it, potentially you know sort of they've gone past hundred million, it's just taking a step back and going, am I a brand leader? Like, have I got my organising thought? Am I is my message cutting through and making people if they're not sure where to spend the money? It's it's with us. 
Yeah, absolutely. Does the does the brand objectively does the brand support the vision of the business? And within the vision, we're gonna we're gonna have all sorts of things around scale, positioning, price positioning as well. Does the brand reflect that? And if it doesn't, then your brand's off kilter, and you're you're leaving. I hate this term, but you're leaving money on the table. And and I think it's the really successful leaders that are constantly reviewing that because at each stage in the life cycle, you know, a, a, you know, a zero to 10 million pounds brand has a positioning 10 to 50 million pounds. It's a different positioning. You have to evolve 50 to hundred million pounds. You've broadened your shoulders. You know, you've got your chest pumped out and mm. you're a much different type of different type of organization and brand is an evolving business discipline and it should be something that you are constantly reviewing and the one thing that's worthwhile saying as well before we sort of forget i think is it's not a field of dreams build it and they will come you have to market your brand as well and we like to talk about uh, a two-speed strategy and the two-speed strategy is having a budget some of which is um, appropriated towards brand building so this is just reputation and then some of it, which is um, appropriated to ac- uh, activation or sales activation. Mm. This is about generating a return on investment. And you build both together. You can't really do, um, build an effective brand if you only do one because all, all sales activation is too short term and all brand building doesn't generate enough uh, income. So a two-speed strategy would be a, a great way of um, helping you to build scale as well. Thanks for listening today and hopefully you've taken away one thing to think about or try. Let me know in the comments if there's something you'd like us to explore in future episodes or just reach out on LinkedIn or podcast at district4.io. Let's keep learning and building great companies together.